Welcome to This Week in IT. Your hosts are Lang Maith and Andre Forte. This program will discuss the business of information technology, business development, current events, new products, and more. Now, here are your hosts of This Week in IT, Lang Maith and Andre Forte. Good evening. This is Andre Young. And this is Lang Maith. Thanks for joining us today in This Week in IT. Getting started, we are being joined today with Gerard Laput. He's from the School of Computer Science at Carnegie Mellon University. He specializes in human-computer interaction, sensing, and machine learning as well, and has has an extensive background um, and an extensive resume with uh, tons of uh, programs and uh, and accolades. So uh, with no further ado, we'll bring Gerard in. Gerard, thank you for joining us today. How are you? Hey, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. Glad you could join us. Absolutely. Yeah. So my name is Gerard. I am a PhD student at the uh, at Carnegie Mellon University School of Computer Science. Uh, my specialization is in human-computer interaction. So what that means is I explore uh, basically the intersection of a couple of things. One is interactive systems, so mobile devices and watches and Internet of Things, uh, uh, machine learning and sensing. So the intersection of those is basically where my research falls in. So you can think of it as like, you know, what would the devices 20 years from now look like and how would humans, you know, how would we as people like be interacting with them? Right now we're using like touchscreens, but in the future, who knows what those could be? It could be through, um, you know, it's voice interfaces or, you know, you know, using other parts of your hand as opposed to just the finger for interacting with, uh, you know, phones or whatever that device in the future could be. So part mm-hmm. of my research is exploring that type of, uh, of questions, those types of basically futuristic ideas. And my background is in uh, electrical engineering and computer science. So I do a mix of hardware and software when I try to solve these problems and find that questions and an- answer some of these questions that uh, are related in, in this area. So, so for the I'm not sensory. sure if you guys have any specific questions in mind, but that's like a rough overview of the stuff that I work with uh, for my research. First question is um, pretty much for the sensory aspects. Um, what are some of the projects that you've worked on that actually involves the sensors? I saw so one that I, looks like it involved done, automobiles, which I thought was pretty cool. Oh, that one, um, you're talking about electric? Correct. That project? Correct. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so for that one, um, so if you think about it, there's lots, the, the way I approach these types of questions is um, how can we enhance, you know, the way we interact with these, like, I don't know, dumb objects, like they're not like really uh, interactive, but how can you add like interactive capabilities to them? And so in this, in the electric example, the one that you saw, where we're actually trying to make the steering wheel of a car almost like a touchscreen. So how do you like, how do you do that? What are the different sensing uh, techniques that allow you to do that? And so one of the ways we um, attack this problem was to figure out, okay, um, what if we have like a, you know, sort of like a, like a conductive paint that you uh, spray coat on top of this uh, steering wheel. And it turns out that if you do insert some form of like electric signal uh, within that specific uh, configuration, you can actually transform that uh, steering wheel into like a touchscreen. So you can track where your hands are relative to that steering wheel. So those are the types of uh, projects that I pursue. So you take uh, an idea and you take a common uh, sensing technique like in this case, mm-hmm. electric field sensing or electric field right. tomography and almost figure out, okay, um, how can you transform, use that technique to basically, you know, convert that uh, steering wheel into like almost like a touch, touch screen steering wheel, if you think about it. And so we're just right. repurposing like decades old technique, kind of like a, if you look at an, an MRI machine or like a, a specific tomographic machine in the medical field, but then just transpose, transpose that and make that cheaper and then apply it into you know, devices uh, that are all around us. And it turns out if you do that uh, simple transformation, you can actually do a lot, lot of uh, cool things. Lots of that, uh, some form of sensing um, processing or sensing technique. So that's kind of like one of the research questions that I tackle. And that's one of the um, ideas that you see in the electric project. Yeah, looking at this, it looks like a, a really cutting edge enhancement, you know, for driving. Have you had any uh, automobile manufacturers actually, you know, actually come in for proof of concept? So we've had a lot of interest from uh, automobile manufacturers, but it turns out that we get a lot more interest from paint companies because uh, it turns companies? out that they have, yeah, paint companies. So uh, 
because in this technique, we actually have like a carbon coated, we use a carbon coated paint to transform the mm-hmm. steering wheel into like a touch, touch enabled steering wheel. So the right. paint companies are like, oh, we have some of those. Can we actually, you know, do something with our portfolio of paint so that we can almost market something as like, hey, turn anything into a touchscreen just by using our paint. So we get a lot of interest hmm. from some of those types of companies. But we also have so, uh, uh, interest from some other verticals, like, um, for example, like companies who work with, you know, signs, for example, they want to convert their signage posters and make them touch, touch uh, interactive. And so... Uh, they've approached and say, hey, what do we need to do to make our posters almost like a touchscreen poster, but in a very cheap way? So we've had a lot of interest uh, on that because, as, as you know, like devices and, and hardware is becoming cheaper and cheaper and uh, their computational power is still uh, you know, increasing. And so what happens when you know, almost every object has some sort of like little computer in them? What, what happens if your poster has a little computer in them, mm-hmm. right? And, right. Uh, what happens in that future? So these are some of the things that we think about. So once you have so little computers, like, you know, ubiquity of computers everywhere, then you can basically transform almost, you know, these inanimate objects into touch sensitive objects. And you have these interactive experiences that we don't have quite yet, but we can imagine in the future having them. So, so that's some of the interest that we're getting. Yeah. So pretty much you're actually transforming the paint to a sensor or a conductor, so to speak. So there, yeah, there's there's a bunch of uh, some signal processing uh, techniques there. So basically, the paint turns the, any surface into almost like a conductive surface, but we call it a high impedance uh, surface. So mm-hmm. high impedance means it's it's still conductive, but with high resistance, and that specific property is what allows our our technique to uh, transform that space or that whatever object that is into a touch sensitive object. There's a there's a very fine balance there because if it's too conductive, then all of the signal would just flow through the object and you, there's no way for you to sense that. But if it's too resistive, like no energy can come through. So there's a sweet spot where that high resistivity mix gives you that touch sensing capability that we show here in this project. That's pretty neat. What would be the lifespan for that particular paint though? If I was to actually use it as a conductor? Is it good like for um, two years, three years, or is it just the amount of use? It's probably the amount of use. It should be pretty straightforward. Lots of these paints are, are rated for, you know, five, three, five years. So I feel like that should be whatever standard is in that uh, domain. It should, it should copy over. And Gerard, that's interesting. Going back to um, the, the steering wheel in particular, is, have, you guys ever, uh, have you guys been approached by any companies, any car companies in particular, that's using um, uh, fiberglass and carbon fiber or hydrocarbon? I know in a lot of high-end luxury vehicles these days, and even more so in um, performance, high-end performance vehicles, um, those are very, very popular um, materials that are being used all throughout the entire car and even in the interior. Have you guys been approached to integrating that technology in, in any type of material as well? Uh, not very, not, not like in like a specific type of, uh, car companies, but mostly we just, we have some interest, but, um, we're still working with, uh, some of these vendors to, uh, come up with some next steps, but we, we have some interest, but not nothing like concrete at the moment. Because yeah, I can, I can imagine, um, you know, these, uh, types of materials in, in cars being integrated in, in these types of, uh, platforms. And yes, you can make those touch touch sensitive almost, but we still really haven't thought about um, um, why you would want like the entire body of the car to be touch sensitive. There, there's probably some diagnostics information that you could do there, but sure. I think, uh, yeah, a lot of the cool applications would probably be in like the driver's seat. So either in the dashboard, uh-huh. you can, exactly. you know, you can make that a, a super cheap um, uh, installation as opposed to having all these electronics or, you know, just, convert that steering wheel into a, a, a richer experience than what, it, than what we currently have. So I think I'm those surprised. are the um, most immediate applications for this technology. I'm surprised Tesla hasn't approached you. Yeah, I was thinking about them. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe they will at some yeah, point. That kind, of, that kind of falls in line with what they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, they're doing some cool stuff. We still need to see... Um, you know, I, they haven't really done any development in the um, this side of things. They're mostly focused on like 
you know, they're optimizing for their battery uh, mm-hmm. uh, driving system. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're manufacturing. That's where that's where Tesla is at right now. Um, but maybe when they've stabilized as a company, they'll probably think about you know uh, solutions for uh, uh, the in car experience. Trying to you know as a as a company uh, fulfill the uh, manufacturing need for their cars at, at a scale that people want. So I think that's where right. they're at at the moment. Right. It's pretty interesting. So is there any um so are you in a pilot phase or phase one? So I guess really the question I'm really posing to you is like what would be considered next generation for this particular um you know technology? So I think we're at this project is in a research phase, so I would even call that like phase zero. Here we're just uh-huh. basically touching we're we're touching on the the proof of concept like is this even possible? And so what we've shown in this project is that, yes, it is possible. Uh, it is possible to convert all these inanimate objects just using, you know, with a coat of paint, you can transform them into a touchscreen. So phase zero says, yes, we've proven that. So in order for this to be really commercially viable, you almost need like a, you know, a giant company to put a lot of engineering and development effort in it. So someone like a Ford or a Tesla or even like a, you know, like a paint company that, that knows what they're doing that has like some engineering chops to, to, you know, scale this type of technology. So that's where this project is at at the moment. And um, we're getting a lot of interest from third parties. And so our hope is that uh, they take this technology and, and put a lot of engineering manpower into it. This could be a future product at, uh, in the, you know, five, I, three, five ideally, years ideally, what do you yep. think the finished product will look like? Well, I'm, um, I'm sorry. Let's, uh, Gerard, before you get into that, we're going to go to a commercial yep. break. And um, okay. we'll pick up with that when we get that when we get back. Thanks for joining us. This is Gerard Lapo with Andre Forte, Lane May. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you looking to build, enhance, or revamp your current IT infrastructure? If so, that's where MallLobby.com comes in. Whether you need virtualization, systems administration, networking, storage, cybersecurity, cloud, disaster recovery, to even manage services, just submit your project details via email to broadcast at MallLobby.com so we know this opportunity is from one of our listeners. For your IT consulting, staffing, and architectural needs, rely on MallLobby.com. Incorporated, visit online at MallLobby.com. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Ritas is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on The Voice America Business Channel. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to This Week in IT. To reach the program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather leave a question or comment via email, send it to broadcast at mallobby.com. Now back to This Week in IT. Thanks for joining us. If you are just joining us, we're here today with Gerard Laput of Carnegie Mellon University. And um, before we uh, cut to commercial break, um, Gerard, I want to allow you to finish your um, 
your thoughts on uh, what Lane was posing you as the, the finished product of the steering wheel. Okay. Um, thanks, guys. So I feel like with electric, uh, you know, the steering wheel is, is uh, one uh, area that, that could be. Uh, so right now where the steering wheel is basically you have, you know, a bunch of buttons in there. But uh, what if you can, you have like whole continuous, you, know, you can transform the steering wheel into like a touchscreen. So when you're like in the car, maybe if you want to like switch to, uh, you know, different volume levels, you just basically swipe left or swipe right, like on your steering wheel. So there's mm-hmm. all these uh, cool interactive capabilities that you could you can enhance. So maybe you can perform gestures to you know do shortcuts for your car radio, for example, or your like iPod connection. So you could basically just like you know double tap or swipe left. You know whatever you could do with your phone right now in terms of gestures, you can do that on a steering wheel. So that's what I envision what uh, uh, electric can do in terms of converting that steering wheel into like an interactive, uh, almost like an interactive interface uh, for future cars. So I think that would be pretty cool. And of course, that that you can extend that not just in the steering wheel, but also like in the, the dashboard of the car, touch gestures and, and touch sensing capabilities on the dashboard on the car. I know there's like big touch screens in, in cars right now, but imagine mm-hmm. um, that the entire panel, not just the touch screen, but the panel itself, like, you know, the the shielding and all of that, you can you can convert that into a you know a touch sensitive material. So that would be pretty cool. You can enhance you know the experience once you you have that. So I feel like sounds, those capabilities are, are what, you know, you could bring that to the table. Yeah, um, that sounds extremely cool. Part. You could extend that to, what was that? I said that sounds extremely cool. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. Yeah. Do you actually have any concept drawings for this? Um, if you click on that, if you click on the project on my website, uh, we have a bunch of, we actually have a white paper uh, that talks mm-hmm. in depth about uh, the project, uh, the sensing mechanisms, and all the other example applications. Uh, for this idea. So I encourage you to go to my website and, and uh, look into it if you want more details. Sure. Uh, would you love to plug that website right now for our listeners? Yep. That would be Gerard.com. Uh, so just my first name.com. G-I-E-R-A-D.com. And you'll see all the projects listed in there. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. And and looking at those projects, I also see that you're working on um, two in particular regarding, um, looks like squeeze a pulse and accoutrements, is that correct? Accoutrements, yep, yep. Uh, it looks like Squeeze so, Pulse is adding interactive input to fabricated objects. Yep. So are you guys familiar with 3D printing by any chance? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 3D printing, okay. So there's this whole movement about, you know, you can 3D print different types of objects uh, at the moment. But the problem with 3D printing right now is that once you 3D print, you know, that, uh, that specific object that you want, whether it's a, a robot or a toy, um, that's it. There's just a piece of plastic. They don't really do anything, right? So this project tries to explore what if you can, uh, how do you add interactivity to those 3D printed objects? So one solution that we thought about was what if you, you know, have, use your phone because people have their phone with them all the time and you, have, you, know, you, you use your phone as a kind of like a driver to uh, create these interactive experiences with 3D printed objects. So that's pretty cool. But the, the even cooler thing is that we take advantage of this phenomena that every phone has, every phone has like a microphone and a speaker. And so we use, we use that fact to create these rich interactive experiences by emitting like an ultrasound from the phone. And then by having all these um, different um, properties that you can think of this as a tube. So the micro, the speaker sends an ultrasonic signal passing through a 3d printed tube that you create in the object that you, that you build. And then it goes through a microphone. So any change within the path of that tube, uh, we can detect. So if you put a button in that tube or like a, a slider or any type of, of mechanism, you can basically turn your 3D printed objects into interactive interfaces. So if you look at acoustics, we can create buttons on top of them, like sliders, uh, you know, all these different, uh, you know, control mechanisms just, you know, by, with a piece of plastic in your cell phone. So I think it's a pretty cool uh, way of thinking about how you can transform you know, you know, 3D printed inanimate objects and bring them to life. So I think that would be a, a, a pretty cool, promising uh, technology for, you know, future toys. Uh, you basically can, can make toys that don't have any electronics in them and they just leverage your phone basically. And then once you have that, you transform that toy into like an interactive toy uh, without having to have any electronics. So it becomes so much more cheaper to have these things uh, mass produced. So that's one 
cool idea. And Squeezapools builds on top of Acoustrument. So instead of, uh, instead of sending ultrasound, uh, we just basically send passive air pulses. So you have these little squeezable uh, objects that create passive air. You know when you have like an accordion, you guys familiar with an accordion where you basically sure, just, sure. you know, mm-hmm. apply pressure. Yeah, and then you, you create this puff of air. So it turns out that yep. that puff of air, uh, we can sense that puff of air. And then when it passes through this pipe that we create, almost like a, you can think of it as a tiny muffler, we can identify uh, the type of, of air puff that passes through uh, that muffler. Uh, and then we use machine learning to basically figure out, okay, what was that input? Was it coming from button A or button B or button C? Uh, was it coming from like a, you know, when you press the, the belly of a teddy bear or something like that? And then we can detect that as, as those pups of air pass through these tubes that we encode with little uh, notches. And so once you have that, uh, you can then, again, transform all these inanimate objects into um, rich interactive experiences just by, you know, pulses of air or like, you know, ultrasound uh, um, air pulses. So, so is, I think those so are pretty cool from like a, I like them from like a science uh uh, concept perspective, and I think there's mm-hmm. some lo- lots of cool opportunities there, but mostly just to make things that are interactive but also very cheap. So I think there's some gotcha. lots of cool possibilities there. Sounds really cool. Is that so? Looking at the um, at the project specifically on on your site, so is that mm-hmm. what the design primitives, um, the different variations that you have listed there, the holes, the tube length, the tube gap, is that what all that is is kind of geared towards? Yeah, so those those different primitives are like what you as a um, as a designer can uh, can enhance. So once you have those different um, you know different properties, you can basically add these different mechanisms on top of of your three D printed objects. And so basically, without having to add any electronics, no any of that, these uh, physical interfaces that you can have for your three D printed objects. That's really cool. That's really cool. So, with the ultrasound that's being that's being transferred, is can you hear the ultrasound? And is is it is it audible? Is it inaudible to to the user? Yeah. So ultrasound is actually inaudible uh, to the user. So for most people, at least, uh, the ultrasound we use is uh, in the order of unless you're like a dog or something, right? With like a six. Yeah, unless you're like a dog. Yeah, <laughs> um, or or babies. Babies can hear a little bit of ultrasound. True. Um, but mm-hmm. the, the range that we, you know, it, it turns out that as you grow older, your, uh, your range of hearing actually decreases. So the older you get, the less and less you hear ultrasound. So, sure. um, but usually the range that we use is inaudible, uh, for humans. So it should be pretty straightforward. Gotcha. Is this just limit with this technology only be limited just to, um, just to cell phone devices or would it be extended to anything else as well? Or any, all, all mobile, mobile devices and, um, even more stationary devices like your typical desktops and stuff like that as well. Yeah. So the principle applies to you know any device that has a, a speaker and a microphone. So mobile devices is mm. one, but you know, your laptop has a speaker and microphone. Uh, you can have like a specific speaker and microphone set up to, and, and it, you should be able to, you know, convert uh, things around that setup into like interactive experiences. So it should scale. Um, gotcha. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really cool. Um, with uh, I see that there's another project that that really caught uh, our attention was the Imsense. Can can you elaborate yeah. a little bit on that? Sure. So Imsense is a particularly interesting project. Um, it's uh, unlike the projects that we just been talking about. This is uh, wearable focused. So the way I see this is that um, it turns out that, you know, every, you know, in everyday experiences, there's like electromagnetic noise that uh, your body is absorbing every single time. So when you walk in your house, you've got like fluorescent lights, you're absorbing all of that electromagnetic noise. When you use your cell phone, there's electromagnetic noise everywhere. Um, it turns out that your body, because it's, you know, your body is conductive, we're all just sacks of water. Your body actually absorbs those uh, electromagnetic noise. And so the idea here is that um, if you have a watch that is actually sensitive to these electromagnetic noise, you can actually detect those electromagnetic noise. So that's a known principle. But the cool thing here is that it turns out that the objects around you that you interact with emit very particular electromagnetic noise. Uh, and it turns out that 
the electromagnetic noise of your laptop or your refrigerator or your stove or your blender are particularly different. So you can use, uh, you can actually use machine learning to discriminate between these different types of objects. So now you have a sensor on your watch. You have a watch that knows uh, the types of, you know, objects that you're interacting with at the moment of touch. And so if you look at the videos for MSense, there's some really cool, stu- cool things that you could do so that, you know, when you have an electronic toothbrush and your brush, you know, you turn it on, the watch can know that you, hey, you, I, just, I just noticed that you turned on your electronic toothbrush. And then like an app on your watch would be like, hey, let me turn on a timer, right? And so now you can be like brushing your teeth, you know, in 60 seconds, make sure the watch timer is just like, you know, triggered automatically because it knows, you know, the objects that you're interacting with. So that's a pretty cool, um, that's a pretty cool idea. We could also detect like uh, um, vehicles or even like motorcycles, for example. So when you turn on your motorcycle, you're watching, you know, hey, I noticed that you just turned on your motorcycle based on the electromagnetic signals from that motorcycle. Let me give you a shortcut, you know, so that you can go to your grocery, et cetera. Um, so it's almost like see, a Fitbit. What was that? It's almost like a Fitbit for electrical man- electromechanical objects then. Yeah, exactly. That's one, that's one good way to think about it. And it turns out like doors, uh, doors that are magnetically actuated, so doors that have like, you know, that lock like electronically, those also emit electromagnetic noise. And so um, when, you, when you touch those doors, um, the watch can sense that you're, you know, touching the very particular door. So you can even almost turn, you know, turn your, your watch into like a, like, almost like a key card because the watch knows who you are because you're wearing it. You use a passcode to basically register yourself. And so the watch knows that you're touching that very particular door. And so you can correlate those two types of information and basically almost like use your body as like a key card, you know, when, when you touch these like electromagnetically actuated doors. So I think those are really cool, uh, cool things that you could do. You know, you think about wearables as a, almost like a, uh, like it'll almost hand into like a, input and sensing platform. So just by way, instead of like just an extension of your smartphone, you can think of the watch now as like a, uh, it can trans, when you wear it, you can transform your hand into like a, you know, an arm 2.0 as opposed right. to just like you know, the watch is an extension to your phone. So I think, you know, it's pretty he, cool. Emson's starting to think about that idea and pushing the boundaries of what you can do with a watch. In hearing that explanation, is it feasible to say that it can actually integrate with say, for instance, ring the security system? You know, because they use the automated um, um, keypad locks. You you can. We haven't explored that, but uh, theoretically, you should be able to integrate this with existing IoT systems. Now, probably the next question after that is: Is it Z-rated in terms of uh, security? You know, um, it should be okay. Uh, we haven't really gone through any of the you know any like regular testing. This is just a, uh, this is a research exploration of a proof of concept. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. when this is going to be a commercial product, you will, you, you know, you'll have to basically rate this. So these are all passive. We're not injecting any, uh, you know, electricity through the user's body. This is, these are all passive things that your body normally experiences day to day. So we're not really doing anything drastic. We're just sensing that phenomena uh, that as opposed to doing right. anything active. Yep. That was that was actually my next question. Are there any health concerns, you know, wearing this device? Because you know, you don't want to absorb too much of anything that's going to be harmful. This should be pretty. Yeah, there should no uh, health concerns on this one. It's pretty straightforward. Um, there, it's the same. Um, you know, your your body experiences all of these uh, electromagnetic absorptions. Like right now, you're just not aware because you don't see it. Um, mm-hmm. But again, this is just a passive technique, so we're not really doing anything active. So we're just basically sensing what's already happening in your body. Now, this uh, device, is it on the market now? Is it something where you can actually beta test it? Like, do you have um, control or pilot group for this? Um, this, is a, this is a research project. Uh, if people are interested, uh, they can reach out. And um, we have some prototypes that um, are that we're looking into, but um, it's a it's a case-by-case basis. This is not available commercially. Okay, okay. Now, for those people interested in actually participating, are there a set of use cases they need to complete, or how is it um, structured? Um, mostly, they go through our uh, licensing process at the university, and so mm-hmm. if you're a company who's uh, interested in uh, 
exploring the potential of this technology, uh, you can talk to our uh, tech transfer office and they have a pretty straightforward licensing process uh, for people who want to look into it. Are there are there any other type of projects that have, uh, not projects, but products, I'm sorry, um, that have a similar type of technology or, um, or the similar type of uh, EM signatures and, and sensors? Um, almost every electric, Almost every electronic device uh, emits uh, EMI. So your watch, your laptop, your tablet, uh, your speaker, your TV, your monitor, uh, your blender, your hairdryer, almost every electronic object uh, emits EMI. And so it's actually, it, it's everywhere. So that, that's what makes it pretty cool. Because uh, um, basically you just take the signatures, the EMI signatures out of those objects, and then you can, you know, sense them from, from EM sense. Um, of course, you could also like um, have like your own unique EMI ID if you generate your own like you know EMI pattern. So if you're like that a company who wants question. to like make your own EMI pattern, yeah. So you could do that, uh, kind of like your own unique uh, EMI signature that you can push out. So as a future integration, you know, if you're a company, you could potentially use the technology and have your own like transmission mechanism uh, with MSense. That's really cool. That's really cool. Okay, well, um, Gerard, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break here and um, continue to stick with us. We're having a great conversation with Gerard Laput of Carnegie Mellon University. Um, stick with us. Join us after this break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you looking to build, enhance, or revamp your current IT infrastructure? If so, that's where malllobby.com comes in. Whether you need virtualization, systems administration, networking, storage, cybersecurity, cloud, disaster recovery, to even manage services, just submit your project details via email to broadcast at malllobby.com so we know this opportunity is from one of our listeners. For your IT consulting, staffing, and architectural needs, rely on malllobby.com. Incorporated, visit online at malllobby.com. How is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Sergio Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to This Week in IT. To reach the program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather leave a question or comment via email, send it to broadcast at mulllobby.com. Now back to This Week in IT. Thanks again. If you're just joining us, we're, we're here with our guest this evening of uh, Carnegie Mellon University, Gerard Laput. Um, Gerard, just getting back into our conversation, we see that there's another interesting project that you seem to be working on called Zensers. Can you please elaborate on that? Sure. Um, so... Zensers is a, is a project that basically builds on top of the other work that I'm doing. So with, with MSense, you can have these, uh, what I call um, contextual knowledge about what the user is, is doing. So instead of just, you know, typing and verbalizing things, you have context about what the person is, you know, engaged in, in terms of, of uh, their day-to-day activities. So 
But the issue with those is that you have to instrument users. But what if you just need to know things about the space and you know your users don't need to wear a watch? So with sensors, um, you basically use uh, like camera systems. For example, you can repurpose an old phone uh, and use the phone's camera to basically make turn that uh, the phone's camera into like a sensor. So with sensors, the idea is that you take this you know camera, you basically uh, highlight a region of the image that you want to know about, for example, like a parking lot. And then you can ask a question that says, how many cars are in the parking lot? And then you click go and they say, I want to know the answer to this question, you know, every, you know, 30 seconds and you click go and then you wait a little bit. And then every 30 seconds, you get an answer to that question. How many cars are in this parking lot? So now you've turned that camera into a parking lot counter sensor which is pretty cool. And that's the whole idea of sensors is that we have this really quick way for you to create all these sensor streams just from using, you know, a camera stream. You might be wondering, so you, like, how do you do that? that? That seems like magic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what are you doing? You're actually taking like old <laughs> smartphones and you turn them into like little AR robots. <laughs> so not quite AR robots, but, but <laughs> the idea is that there's a, there's a, there's a mixed process here that's happening. So you take the camera feed and then um, you basically you have the question, right? Like how many cars are, are in that parking lot? So first we use some crowdsourcing mechanisms to basically bootstrap that process. So you take that uh, question in the camera feed and basically do some crowdsourcing to basically say how many cars in the parking lot? So you have crowd answer that question, how many cars in the parking lot? And uh, crowdsourcing, the answer is almost like human intelligence uh, accuracy. So, you know, it's, it's very high, but in the Behind the scenes, you train a machine learning model to basically um, learn to answer that question automatically. So over time, in a matter of like, you know, hours or days or even weeks, uh, the machine learning model will learn to pick up and increase its accuracy as the more and more uh, data it knows about that question. And so at some point, uh, the machine learning model will basically be equal to like the crowdsourcing model, and then they will just flip. So at that point the model wow. it becomes automatic, right? And so once it becomes automatic, you no longer need, um, you know, crowdsourcing. It's just, just like the system has learned to answer that question automatically. And then, but from the user's perspective, everything is like at a high accuracy. Uh, it's so unknown to the user. Everything is always just like an, an answer to that question at a very particularly high accuracy. So this type so of hybrid infrastructure allows sensors to just basically transform, uh, you know, any type of, of uh, room into like a smart room with just like a little camera uh, sensor, either from a phone or your existing camera devices. So I think it's pretty so hi- cool. So uh, hypothetically, yeah. I could almost take, you know, a handful of smartphones and use them as security systems around the house. You can try that, yes. Um, but uh, since most people just discard their old smartphones, right? So you can technically use that. But you could also use existing, you know, cheap cameras that are already in the market. The only requirement is that they are, you know, they have some uh, networking capabilities because they need to be communicating to uh, like, a, like a system so that they can uh, process this information. So that's some of the, uh, the capabilities that you could use. It could be, you could use your own phone or you could use the existing cameras. But in the future, yeah. you can imagine these cameras, you know, these types of the sensors mechanism operating on the edge so they don't have to go to the cloud. Um, right. So that's where we envision sensors uh, moving forward in the future. In your example, you said pretty much, you know, you had it set where every 30 seconds you'd get some type of feed with the number of cars in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. How, how is that communication established where it's actually doing the reporting back to you? So you have an old cell phone that's been repurposed and it's reporting back to your current smartphone. So what's the communication mechanism between the two? Uh, I lost a couple of sentences uh, earlier. So the question was, uh, what's the communication protocol between like the old cell phone and then your regular cell phone? Is that the question? Right. Mm-hmm. To where it's so doing it, the reporting. It be, yeah, it could just be any type of uh, protocol. So they could be communicating over Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, whatever type of, of system is available. However you design this, this protocol, it, it really is flexible. So the important thing is that uh, once you have established that communication channel, um, you know, you can get notifications or whatever type of, system that's already in place right now so there's nothing special here that's sweet 
And and going back to your example of using a, a, a parking lot, could that also translate to uh, to humans? So, for example, like say like a like a concert. Um, is there any way where you could actually determine the number of attendees at at a concert using this? You, you it, it's possible, but um, as long as you can visually discern from the camera feed, like mm-hmm. uh, count, so then it's possible. But sometimes. Um, depending on the resolution of your camera that will dictate like how accurate your count will be. But if you just want like a gross number, for example, you know, is it a hundred, a thousand or 10,000? You know, if you don't, if your accuracy uh, requirements are not that great, then yes, uh, you can be a lot more flexible. But if your accuracy is like, you want to be within you know, plus minus one person, then that's a lot harder. Uh, even like regular AI, uh, systems can't handle that task but you know it is possible you just need a lot more high resolution cameras that's really cool and i see that um uh, just kind of segue uh segueing into another project that you that you seem to be working on that looks very interesting is there your synthetic sensors that you're currently working Mm -hmm. on is there any way that that's also is that integrated in the technology of the sensors as well so yeah, I can talk. I can talk about that. So what I like about sensors is that you know it's it's what I call general purpose sensing. So you have one sensor that can sense many types of, of you know things around you. Um, in synthetic sensors, we tried to do almost what sensors can do, but uh, not using a camera because um, you know sometimes cameras camera systems can be privacy invasive. And so we mm-hmm. and so the question here is like, can you do you know this level of general purpose sensing? without a camera. So what we did instead was we put in a bunch of sensors into one device. So you get like a, uh, you know, accelerometer, um, uh, EMI signals, you know, barometer, temperature, et cetera, um, to basically you pack this uh, one device with many, many sensors and then see if you can actually sense all these different events. So if you look at one of the videos for synthetic sensors, uh, we created this board that has, you know, an amalgamation of all these different sensors. And it turns out the answer is yes. You can actually use this one tiny guy. You plug it into a wall and you can sense, you know, the different events within that room that you plug that into. So if you put this into your kitchen, for example, you plug this uh, uh, device into your wall. Uh, we can sense, you know, whether in your kitchen is the faucet running, is your blender running, is the stove on, you know, is the garbage disposal uh, activated. We can sense all these different things just from this one tiny guy. And we're able to do that because we've packed a lot of sensors in it. And also we, we use it at a high resolution. And then we use some machine learning algorithms to basically disambiguate between what those events are and add some level of, you know, semantics on top of those raw signals. So people don't usually care about, you know, how fast the accelerometer is vibrating or not. But people care about whether the faucet is running, whether the blender is running. With synthetic sensors, you can do that. You can now transform your you know, regular kitchen into a smart kitchen with just this one guy. Um, you can imagine uh, plugging this in uh, into a bathroom, for example. You can turn that bathroom into a smart bathroom. You can detect if the shower is on, if the faucet is on, if the toilet is being flushed, whether you're brushing your teeth, whether, you know, the hairdryer is on, lights are on, etc. cetera. Uh, you put this into a workshop, we can detect the tools that are running. So you want to know, like, which, you know, the degradation of tools over time or which tools are uh, used more often than others. You put this into like a greenhouse, you can turn that greenhouse into a smart greenhouse so you can track humidity over time, et cetera. So literally you can transform any type of space into a smart environment just by plugging in this uh, uh, board. Uh, and we call them like synthetic sensors because they're like virtual sensors you build on top of them. Right? This is almost like a day-to-day so auditor. Cool. What was that? It's almost like a day-to-day auditor. can t- give you a report of your entire day. Yeah, you, you can think of it that way. Um, it's almost, well, I think of it as like a, we now have a really good way to digitize your physical uh, environment because right now, you know, you have, you know, you have location data, you have all these other things, but people, if, if you, but we don't really have like a good sense of like what's happening, you know, physically, like if you have questions about your physical environment, you know, how is, you know, how bright is this space? How loud is this space? Or, you know, what object is running? So you don't really have a good way of doing that, but now you can like digitize that space with this type of sensor and in a very, uh, you know, uh, minimal way. Because of course you can digitize a space by like attaching, you know, hundreds of sensors within that space, right? But people right. don't really like that because 
you know, it costs money to have lots of those things. And, and uh, it looks ugly because you have to put sensors everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. The other approach is people, smart appliances, like you need, you need to buy a smart microwave, a smart dishwasher, a smart faucet, a smart stove, etc. But people don't want that too because that costs money and they're made by different manufacturers. So, you know, there's no really good vision of what this, you know, future Internet of Things is. But with this technology, you basically just have one device, you plug it in, and that's it. It's minimal sensing. So it's, you're like sensing more with less. And that's why I think it would be a pretty, um, you know, scalable and, and uh, feasible vision of what, you know, a smart future environment could be. So your synthetic sensor almost serves the purpose of, as a hub. Yeah, you can think of it that way. It, it knows a lot about, you know, the physical space, the, the manifestations of events in that physical space. And they're all being digitized uh, by this sensor. I can imagine undercover agents using this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there, there's you actually been can, talk about but, that because but, that, you know that's 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 hopefully not the goal of this. But um, <laughs> you can imagine this. So, so one good application is if you are in a, you know, uh, a home for, um, you know, for, home for the aged or like a you know like an assisted living environment, and you want to know whether you know, you know your your grandma or your grandpa is like doing okay, still maintaining his routines every day, but you don't want to, you know, but you still want to give them a level of independence, but you want to, you know, just check on them if they're okay. So mm-hmm. this type of sensing can actually do that because, you know, you can detect all these different patterns. And if, you know, something is deviated from that pattern, you can be alerted, right? And, and you can get uh, some, some alerts to say, hey, you know, something is off, you, you, you want to check, you know, and you can use some, this type of sensing to enable that type of capability. Um, That's really interesting because... Yeah, you can also imagine this being used in workshop environments where, um, you know, you want to attract, like, multi-million dollar equipment. You want to know if they're degrading over time or how loud they are or, like, how often they're used. So a a system like this uh, would allow you to, uh, you know, digitize and and know more about, you know, your space, almost like analytics for your physical environment, if you think about it. Yeah, I found. Uh, I think the only thing that I've heard that's even in the, in the realm of uh, in, in the ballpark rather is uh, is like smart thermostats, where it, you know mm-hmm. it kind of detects uh, detects your body heat and you know what part of the house, and it can actually let you know when um, when you know your heat levels are elevating in different parts of the house and stuff like that. So it, it sounds a little bit like that, but definitely definitely much more uh, intricate. Yeah, yeah, you could have much more. So imagine if you have like an Alexa that has this type of capability. Right now, your Alexa doesn't really know anything about, you know, your environment, right? It's just sits, it's sitting in your kitchen, but knows nothing about your kitchen. So with a, with a technology like this, you could basically, you know, ask Alexa and say, hey, Alexa, can you send me a notification when the microwave is done defrosting? So that's pretty cool because mm-hmm. Alexa now knows, you know, it, it has a digitized version of what that physical environment is. It knows that a microwave is running. It'll send you a notification when the microwave is, you know, is done. So that's pretty cool. You can enable all these different you know, rich interactions with uh, this type of sensing. So, and Gerard, before we get out of here, um, I, I see that there's a wheelchair sensing. That looks like a very interesting project that you're also working on. So I just wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of discuss that a little bit and tell the people a little bit more about, about that. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to share some work on that. Um, so we basically just took, you know, elements of the synthetic sensors project and, uh, put it on like a, like a wheelchair. So we're interested in uh, wheelchair basketball, actually. So mm, uh, it turns cool. out that wheelchair basketball athletes, uh, uh, you know, really want some analytics about their performance when they play basketball. Right now, they don't have that. People assume that they could just wear watches, but, you know, they don't take steps and they don't do all these regular things that people assume exactly. that they do. So they need very specific types of analytics. So what, what we did was we take parts of synthetic sensors, put it on two wheels uh, of the wheelchair, and then we can have this, we can basically digitize, you know, how fast people are, you know, are uh, spinning and moving, whether they're turning left or right, like their, um, their, their engagement levels, their activity levels, et cetera, just by having these, you know, small sensors wirelessly generating analytics for them so they can improve their performance and excel at, at wheelchair basketball. And uh, we actually did some, um, some uh, initial testing on this. We went to the National Wheelchair Basketball association tournament in uh, louisville kentucky and we had like uh, oh, lots cool. of interest uh, yeah lots of interest from this 
And people were like, oh, this is so cool. I can see, you know, real-time data about how fast I'm going, uh, you know, et cetera. And for them, that's pretty cool because right now the technology is, you, you know, you record the data and like one hour later you get your data. But here it's like instantaneous, right? So I think this is a really powerful way, an application of a sensing technique that we use in a different project, but then applied in a very uh, specific and uh, useful uh, application, which is wheelchair basketball. That's got to be helpful during practice. You're getting real-time input. Oh, yeah. You get real-time input. Coaches love it. Uh, athletes love it. Uh, people who want to compete, they love it because they can like, oh, you want to know my top speed? And they just put it in their wheels and then they run. And then it's like, oh, yeah. And then they have this, you know, community, you know, competitive, like a friendly com- competition within each other that is only made possible if you have like real-time sensing. So I pretty think soon. it's pretty cool. And it, yeah. Yep. Pretty soon you'll be seeing this in the NFL Combine. <laughs> you you might you might yep you might okay well that's really cool Gerard um so in closing is there uh, anything uh how how can the people reach you um if they're interested in any of this stuff any uh social media um that you uh, that you like to plug right now any other so, uh, um, projects or anything yes uh thanks for having me in the show you can uh re- you can have uh, you can learn more information about all these different projects by visiting my website uh Gerard.com. So that's G-I-E-R-A-D.com. That's my first name. And uh, yeah, just go through the website, click on all these projects. And if you have particular questions, I'm uh, always responsive over email. So you can just uh, send me an email at Gerard at gmail.com. So my name is pretty unusual. And the benefit is that and I can get all these different uh, digital accounts uh, with my first name on it. So yep, you can also follow me on Twitter uh, at Gerard. And I'm also on Yes, those social networking platforms. So, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Thanks, thanks for, for joining on, us. Rod. It was a pleasure having you. Definitely. Thanks for having mm-hmm. us. Uh, uh, thanks for being with us on the show. And, um, uh, again, this is This Week in IT with Andre Forte, Lane Maeve, with our guest today, Gerard Put. Thanks for joining us. Tune in next week. Have a good weekend, everyone. Thanks, guys. joining Lane Maith and Andre Forte on This Week in IT. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great weekend.